Let us all pray and look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord who speaks. You are the God who is not mute, dumb, but you are the living God. And one of your great characteristics is that you speak. And that is the reason you have given us your word through which you speak to us. And the day is coming when we behold your glory and see you face to face and commune with you. And until then, as you have given us the word, help us to hearken your voice through your scripture. We pray that you please to open our eyes this afternoon to look at the wonderful things of your word and be transformed by the power of your word. We commit our hearts our minds and our ears, our entire being to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you exalt the authority of your word. And we pray that you make Christ supreme in our lives. In the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave his life for us, we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. We have seen four sermons from chapter 1. We have seen the first sermon, The God Who Speaks, and then two sermons on the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and another sermon on Christ being supreme over angels. And then we have seen the last sermon from Hebrews chapter 2, from verses 1 to 4, covering a very important topic. And I was glad to hear some good testimonies from some people who were really deeply touched and transformed when they heard on the dangerous drifting to which we are all prone to. And today and the next Sunday, I will be sharing on the suffering king from Hebrews chapter 2 from verses 5 through 18. But today, I will be covering only from verses 5 through 9 on the suffering king part 1. You know, there is an ironic statement said by someone that the preacher should be doing two things. The task of the preacher is two things. One is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And that is what we will see throughout this book of Hebrews. He was comforting the afflicted. And also afflicting the comfortable. For example, if you see chapter 2 from verses 1 to 4, he was afflicting the comfortable, cautioning them about dangerous drifting. And then if you see from verses 5 through 18, we see that he is comforting the afflicted. So let us see from verse 5 what the Lord has for us and how it has been a great encouragement. Honestly telling you, this is one of the sermons that greatly nourished my own soul as I was spending time in preparation and meditating on the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5. And this is what the author is writing to the recipients. And the Lord is also speaking to us today through this scripture written about 2,000 years ago. And it says here that for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It is interesting that the author of Hebrews has not ended his argument 
that Christ is superior over angels in chapter 1. He continues even in chapter 2. After mentioning at the end of the verse of chapter 1 that are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. After mentioning that angels are ministering spirit. And in the parenthesis, we see that he is cautioning the recipients about the dangerous drifting. And again, he comes back to the argument that Christ is superior over angels. And in telling that, are they not all ministering spirits? And then in chapter 2 verse 5, he is telling that angels are only ministering spirits. They are not the rulers. We don't see that. They have been given a world to rule and neither in the present or in the past or in the future that we see that they have a world to rule. And after mentioning that they are not the rulers and then he comes to a very important phrase here. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Now he doesn't talk about the present world. In which we are living. We see that he is speaking about the world to come. There are two worlds. The present world and also the world to come. The question is what is this present world that the author is speaking. It is very much connected to the chapter 1. The last verse in 14 where he says that angels are ministering spirits. And they are serving those who are to inherit salvation. Now it is very important here to understand that it is speaking in the future tense. That is why there is a theological concept called already but not yet. We all have salvation because of what the Lord Jesus had done for us on the cross. But the Bible also says that we are yet to about to inherit salvation. And what is inherit salvation? It is what the author of Hebrews is speaking in chapter 2 verse 5. Which is the world is yet to come. So inheriting salvation means we are participating, partaking in the world to come. We will habitat that upcoming world. And we see that in line with this, we see that even Peter also affirms. The interesting thing about the Bible, you know, is what? It is written by about 40 authors. And one of the greatest arguments in apologetics to defend the authority, inerrancy, the divine inspiration of the scripture is the unity of the Bible. Although it is written by about 40 authors in different generations, they complement one another rather than contradicting. And we see 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 12 to 13, Peter affirms about the world to come. And here, he is the, here are the words. Listen here carefully. Waiting for, we are all waiting for, as hastening and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. He is speaking about the time is coming 
when the earth and the heavens will be dissolved. When he is speaking about the heavens and the heavenly bodies, he is speaking about the sun, the planets, and also the stars and the heavenly bodies that we know about. And after mentioning about the destruction of the present world with all its heavenly bodies, he continues saying, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What is the difference between the present world and the world that is to come? What is that? In the present world, sin abounds. But in the upcoming world, the world that is to come, there is righteousness. And people, this is what heaven is. A lot of people think that heaven is some, you know, know, it's an immaterial place where we all will be like angels floating as a ghost and worshipping the Lord 24 by 7. That is what I heard as I was growing up. But as I understood the scripture, I realized that heaven is nothing but it will be the new earth. And there will be the new heavens. And there will be Jesus as the Lord and King. And righteousness will be ruling. And the Bible tells here that we are waiting for that. This is not our heaven. This is not our hope. We are all waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know how much this is applicable to you. If you are longing for that new heavens and the new earth, seek out the present world that you are living in. If you are not, may the Spirit of the Lord trigger your hearts and stimulate your minds this morning not to set your heart upon the current world. For this world is going to be dissolved by fire. But the world that is to come where Jesus is a king and righteousness dwells. And then after talking about, you know, the world that is to come, the Bible also speaks that God has not subjected the world to come to angels, which is, they are not going to rule the upcoming world. But he says that he has subjected the world to another person, in which he is speaking about the supremacy over angels, to whom has God subjected the world to come. The Bible tells you that, He has subjected the world to come to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to read this in the context of the first chapter, where we see the unison thought about what the author is speaking here. Do you remember that in chapter 1 verse 2, he says that Christ has been appointed to become the heir of all things. In other words, Christ is the ruler of all things. Christ is the Lord of all things. And that is going to be fully consummated in the world that is to come. Now, on one side, the Bible says that Christ is the ruler and everything has been subjected to him. But on the other side, already has been done. But yet, not yet, he also confirms here. We see that in verse 8, in chapter 2. Verse 8, we see the already, but not yet. And what does it say here in verse 8, chapter 2? Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. We see that everything is subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ and there is nothing over which Christ is not sovereign. 
There is not, nothing over which Christ has no authority. There is nothing over which he has no control. Everything is under subjection to him. But when you read these words, does it look like when you live in this world that everything is subjection to him? The scripture also clarifies in part B of verse 8. You see what it says. At present, now, at this moment, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. The time is coming. Yes, it has already been decided. But that is not yet fully fulfilled. We are waiting for that world to come where this promise will be completely fulfilled. The same thing. Previously, I told you about Apostle Peter confirming what the author of Hebrews said. And now we see that even Paul is confirming what the author of Hebrews said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verses 27 to 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 27 to 28. Listen to this, what the author has said here. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. See, it has already been done. He has put everything in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, now hear this. On one side he says that already been subjected, uh, subjected to him. And then he says here, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. So if you observe this carefully, the first phrase speaks about already. He has put everything in subjection under him. And the second phrase, it speaks about this is yet to come. When everything has been subjection to him, then Christ himself will be subjected to the Father in heaven, which speaks about eternal subordination of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is very interesting. There is already, but there is yet to come. Now, this is what I would like to tell you. The work of Christ is accomplished. The work of Christ is accomplished. But the world for which the work of Christ was accomplished is yet to come. Are you getting what I'm saying? The work of Christ is accomplished. But the world for which Christ has accomplished his work on the cross is yet to come. And we are all eagerly waiting for that world to come. Christ said very clearly in the gospel of John chapter 18 verse 36. He said that my kingdom is not of this world. Don't expect this world to be like heaven. Don't expect this world where Jesus is, the Lord and the righteousness is dwelling. No. This world doesn't belong to Christ. And this world doesn't belong to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that my kingdom is not of this world and the world is yet to come. But you know, my dear brothers and sisters, what is the good news in this? You know what is the good news in the world to come and Jesus will be ruling as the King and the Lord and everything will be subjected to Him. You know what is the good news in this passage? We see that 
in 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 11 to 12. And this is a good news for all of us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say to those who haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never be a part of this if you don't repent of your sins and believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11, 12. This is what the Bible says. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now observe what he says here. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Observe the phrase here. We will also reign with him. One of the questions you know we will be having is, what will we be doing in heaven? What will be our task in heaven? What will we be doing in the world to come? In the new heavens and the new worlds? The Bible tells that we will be reigning along with the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be earth and that will be a very renewed earth and we will be having bodies and those bodies will be glorified bodies. I believe that in the coming world there won't be only two things but the rest of the thing will be there I believe. One is there won't be sin and its consequences and the other is there won't be marriages in heaven. And that's the reason I think it is heaven. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But someone said that, how can heaven be heaven without my wife? Only few people can say that. But that is how the world will be. We will be eating, we will be drinking, we will be walking, we will be doing a lot of activities in the heaven, people. Don't think that you will be floating like ghosts, walking and revolving around the glory of the Father in heaven and just worshipping 24 by 7. That is not the understanding the Bible gives. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will be glorified human beings who will be serving the Lord and also will be fulfilling other activities. As we go further, it will make sense to you how this comes into perfect fulfillment. But the Bible also tells about, you know, this is the current condition of the world. This is the current condition of the world. And that is the reason the author of Hebrews is telling, we are all waiting for the world to come. Do you remember why the author of Hebrews has written this letter to the recipients? Because of suffering and pain that they were going through, they were drifting away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews is encouraging them, Hey, I know there is suffering. I know there is pain. But persevere because the world is yet to come over which Christ is the ruler. And we are all eagerly awaiting. And the Bible tells very clearly that there is no permanent comforts in this present world. And that goes in perfect unison with what the author of Hebrews says when we read Romans chapter 8 from verses 18 to 24. Follow me carefully. And when you understand this, it makes perfect sense about what the author of Hebrews is speaking about, about the world to come. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 24. Hear this, what he's telling. My goodness, what a great encouragement it is. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Do you think that your suffering is great? The author is telling you that you cannot compare this present suffering with the glorious joy and incomparable life that we'll be having in heaven. You can't even think about it. How the life will be in the coming world. And you know what he says here? He says that creation, the creation itself, the world that we are living in, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's in a figurative way it is telling that the creation is waiting. It doesn't say that creation is waiting for the Lord Jesus. Although that is true that the Lord Jesus is coming. It says that the creation is eagerly longing for the sons of God. That is you and I as believers. Why? Because the world is burdened with sin. These sinful people, wicked and righteous people are destroying the world. And the world, the creation is not able to carry the burdens of the sinful people anymore, committing crimes and evil. And that is the reason it says here that the creation is eagerly waiting for the sons of God. So that when they come, righteousness dwells. When they come, they hate sin. When they come, they despise wickedness and they live and walk with Jesus and rule the creation. And for that reason, the Bible says that the creation is eagerly waiting for the sons of God to come and dwell in this world when the world is renewed. And you see what it says over here. The same God who subjected the coming world to the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, and I think we all agree when we read these words, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirths until now. Are you sick of suffering? Are you sick of pain? The Bible says that, Yes, the creation, all of us, we are groaning in this world for the world to come because this world is afflicted with sin and there is so much of suffering. The Bible itself tells that the current world is suffering because of sin. A lot of people don't believe in God because there is suffering. But the Bible tells that it is because of suffering which is the greatest evidence that God exists. That He is the one who subjected the world to futility because of sin. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And you see how it ends here. For in this hope we were saved. What is the hope that we have that we are saved? The hope is not that presently our sins are forgiven. Presently there is peace in our hearts. Presently Jesus is a lot of our life. People, let me tell you, this is just a glimpse compared to the future glory, the future new heavens and the new earth and the world that is to come. That is the exact salvation that we are all going to inherit and we are all saved with this hope. So the Bible encourages today, my dear brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ.
Don't lose your heart. Bible nowhere promises that the creation is very good and you will enjoy your life over here. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Life is hard here. Christian life is even harder in this sinful world. But we are all waiting for the coming world. And what we see here is that the encouragement for us is that rest in the already. Rest in the work of Christ. Hope for what is yet to come. And conquer, fight against the temptations and anxieties in this life. There are temptations in this world. There are anxieties in this world. There are difficult things in this world. But Bible encourages to fight against it, persevere in it. Because we are waiting for the not yet. You know, one of the uh, greatest Puritan writers was uh, uh, the 18th century Puritan whose name was uh, Jonathan Edwards. And uh, when he was in his 20s, he wrote 70 resolutions. These days, people have no resolutions. They just live just because they have to live. But these people were men of resolution, men of determination. And by the way, when he wrote this resolution, it was not on 31st night. (laughs) Are you understanding? That is not on that day. And uh, one of his uh, 18th, uh, one of his resolutions, there are two resolutions that I would like to tell you. This is how we wanted to live. And this is how I think we as believers should be encouraged to live. 18th resolution of Jonathan Edwards was this. I condensed it. He said that, he wrote it that in his 20s, to live at all times with the clearest understanding of the gospel and awareness of the world that is to come. I want to live every day. Every moment that I know the gospel and I keep thinking about the gospel, what the Lord Jesus has done for me on the cross and I'm longing for the world to come. People, let me tell you, you cannot conquer temptations. You cannot persevere in a suffering now. You know why? Because your focus is not on the world to come. Why so many Get easily anxious. Why so many get depressed? Because your heart is here. Rather than longing for the world to come. Rather than knowing what Christ has already done for you on the cross. But when your eyes are on heaven, your life will be very different here. And you see what is his ninth resolution? He says that to think much on all occasions at all times of my dying. What a great encouragement it is. We are living in a culture when we talk about death, they say, oh, don't speak about it. As if it is an anathema to speak about death. But he says here that I live every day knowing that I am dying. You know, I remember when I became a new Christian, my mentor told me that. He told me, Stephen, live your life as if today is the last day of your life. Don't think about living tomorrow. Today is the last day. Today is the end of your life. If you keep that as your goal and know that you can die anytime, the more you think about death in a positive way, the better wisely you will live in this world. So we see here that the concern that we see here is that Christ is thought to be deemed as lower than the angels. The reason why they thought about Christ being lower than the angels is this. You know why? Because Christ was a human. So in the hierarchy of creation, we see that first is God. And the second are angels. 
who are super glorious and powerful. And the third are human beings. Now see the logic here. If Christ is a human being, will he not be inferior to angels then? That is how they thought about him. Because in the hierarchy of creation, human beings fall third and the angels fall second. And if Christ has become a man, that means he is inferior to angels. Now the author presents here, yes, Christ is inferior to angels. But why did he become inferior? What is the purpose of his humanity? Actually there are, for now so far I have given you only introduction. There are eight factors that I would like to share, but today I will cover only two factors. And the second sermon I will be covering six factors about why Christ became human. Why did he become inferior to angels? The first thing that is very obvious to us is that in his humanity, by default, Christ became a little while lower than the angels. We need to accept the fact. The Bible also says that, yes, he indeed became inferior lower than the angels you know generally how many of you watch movies i don't know uh, many of you seem to be super spiritual heavenly minded and uh, you don't watch movies and all and that is a good thing there is no piety in watching movies but generally when you remember if you watched in the past or if you are watching at present in almost every movie there are four plots right four plots the first is what we do what we see there will be peace. Everything will be nice. Hero or heroine or the family, everything will be going well. And then there comes what? Conflict. Suddenly the peaceful scenario turns around. And that's very interesting. And if any movie is peaceful from right from the beginning to the end, it will not run more than one day. <laughs> Conflict will be there, right? And then after conflict, the tension will be there and the director and the cinema crew will be revolving around the tension. That's where you will be on your heels. And then comes restoration. And then you'll see, my goodness, this is so good. The conflict was there and now came the, con uh, the conflict was there and the restoration came and finally there will be climax. Right? I think that why are we so excited about this peace, conflict, restoration and climax? You know why? Because that is how the world is today. The creation that we are living in speaks a lot about the plots that are going to happen in the, that are happening in the movies. Now we see that in the Bible that's the same thing that we see. There was peace. God created man and woman and they had a very lovely romantic song in Genesis chapter 2. And then came after we don't know how many years they have lived like that. I don't think so. It was immediate. They, the woman was created and immediately they fell into temptation. Maybe some period of time we have no idea. And then came the conflict. Mankind fell into sin. And there was this tension. Sin after sin. Commandments after commandments. And judgment after judgment. Deliverance after deliverance. The whole Bible is nothing but the redemptive history of our God. And then we see the restoration. Galatians 4, 4 says in the fullness of time, God sent his only begotten son. The restoration has started. But actually there need to be a climax. And that is what is going to happen. The author of Hebrews is speaking about in chapter 2 verse 5. When everything will be subjected to him in the world to come. Now you know where we are in? We are in the restoration. The process is happening. But we are all waiting for the climax. And this is how 
the author of hebrews quote psalm chapter 8 which is very interesting uh, hebrews chapter 2 verse 6 to 7 speaks about psalm chapter 8 verse 3 to 4 so i need to explain to you why this is the background so that you can understand the thrust of the words of the author of hebrews we see the grandeur of man over here in chapter 8 psalm verses 3 to 4 we see here these are the words written by david when i look to your at your heavens now you need to understand people heaven the singular heaven the heaven speaks about the abode of god when it speaks about the heavens it speaks about sky space and the universe are you understanding so when i look at your heavens which is other word is telling when i look at your skies the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him maybe you know i think that david one day was in a very uh, very solid super mood and he came out of the house or maybe he just walked on the roof of his house maybe he was lying on the roof of the house or maybe he was just gazing at the heavens and then he saw that from far distance there is moon and i believe that it must be in the night because uh, you can't see moon in the daytime so he must be in the night and he was seeing that yeah there is a moon here my goodness i can see plethora plenty multitude of stars and when he saw from the planet earth into the skies the moon and the stars he wondered what is man before these heavenly bodies before this moon and the stars what are we oh god and how is it that you are mindful of us you think about us you care for us what are we but a tiny little minuscule creature in this planet earth now you know when i was reading this what amazed me is that david spoke about this with this very little limited scientific understanding that he had he didn't have telescope he didn't have all the modern discoveries and i believe that if david lived in the present world today in the midst of the modern splendorous wondrous mind boggling discoveries he must have been even more astounded and dumbfounded at the modern discoveries of the heavenly bodies for example let me show to you i can take a class on that for one hour I never learned learn this science in all my schools and the college years but in the last week I have learned so much that uh, so many of you have forgotten or even don't remember or don't even know about what you have learned in the school but I wondered when I looked at these people tears come from my eyes and think about lord what is man that you are mindful of him you know when david was on the roof of his house and when he looked at the moon and he said that and he looked at the moon and said that what is man in the light of this moon that you care for him but you know david didn't know and many of us don't know but this is what the scientific fact says that the average distance between the earth and the moon is 3 lakh 84000 4400 kilometers my goodness So when David was on the roof and saw that he was looking at the moon which was more than 3 lakh 300000 kilometers not even that 
We all think that there is only one moon in our solar system. It's only one moon. But according to the modern scientific discovery, Earth has one moon, but there are more than 200 moons just in our solar system. And what is a solar system? Solar system consists of the sun and it consists of the eight planets. We have grown up hearing about the ninth planet, but the modern discovery deleted Pluto from the list of the planets and they have come up with only eight planets. Sun, planets, moons, meteorites, asteroids, comets, which are huge different degree size of rocks and they are in millions. And I was astounded that in our solar system, there is only one star. Only one star in our solar system. So the stars that we see in the night, they are beyond our solar system. And you know, there are more than 200 moons in our solar system. And they are all pulled by gravity by the sun. In other words, you can even say that solar system is nothing but sun system. Sun is controlling these planets. And whatever is beyond this gravity doesn't belong to the solar system. And you know, what is an interesting thing? There are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. And this is no exaggeration, people. This is no exaggeration. David, when he saw the stars, maybe millions of minus times point zero, he might have seen the stars and he wondered. But today, modern scientific discovery says that there are more stars in the universe then there are grains, sand on the planet Earth. And you know what is another interesting thing? Maybe some of you know that. If you place Earth before the sun, now this is how it looks. A dot. It's not, it's not you know, the sun there, it's Earth there. And if you fit, I was thinking about, you know, how many Earths would fit into the sun? I have realized and I have seen that about one million earths would fit into the sun. One million, ten lakh earths. It is so gigantic that one million earths would fit into the sun. And how many days it would take just one round? We all know that, right? 365 days, some change it takes to revolve around this parent star. Actually, this is one of the stars you can say that. Now I was very happy at this. My goodness, what is this? And as I was doing study, I was dumbfounded to realize there is one star that scientists have discovered so far. There may be other we don't know. Which is incomparably bigger than the sun. And you know what is that star called? UI Scuti. And you know how the sun looks before that? And I was thinking how many suns would fit into this UI Scuti, the largest discovered star in the universe today. You know how many? Five billion suns can fit into this massive, incomparable UI Scuti star. And you know, if the Earth should take one orbit around this UI Scuti, you know how many years it would take? 10,000 years. One round. 10,000 years. And each season will be 2,500 years. Can you imagine that? One 
2500 years will be talking about how summer looks like another 2500 will be thinking about there will be historical books about how winter looks like amazing people and there is another one that i was really thinking about as i was going in this which is the milky way galaxy okay this is galaxy the milky way is called because it is in a spiral shape and then there are billions of stars in that and now i spoke about the earth which is like a dot before the sun and the sun which is like a dot before the ui scuti and now you see here the solar system that we are speaking the solar system the sun the planets the moons and star and meteorites asteroids and the comets and all these things and which are pulled by the gravity of the sun we see that it is like a dot in the milky way it is not the sun people it is a solar system it is like a dot in the milky way surrounded by about 200 billion stars and now you know what is the amazing thing next for all its vastness now this is lanakia okay now this is a this is bigger than the milky way and how does the milky way look like in the lanakia with 200 billion stars and point dot of solar system in the milky way that is one of the milky way galaxies in the lanakia which is so massive and it says here that it is just like a dot for all its vastness the milky way is one of billions of galaxies in the universe imagine if david knew all these things imagine that finally you know what 90% of planets with known distances lie within about 2000 light years from the sun now if you see this is only 90% where the planets are so far discovered 90% of it and in this massive galaxies that we see here and there is a black hole and then you see that sun is somewhere over there maybe you can see even the solar system with 400 billion milky way stars we see that there are about 1 to 10 trillion orbiting planets in this 1 to 10 trillion now trillion is what 1000000 is how much 1000000 is million 1000 million is billion okay which is the 10 lakh and the second is 100 crore and 1 million million is trillion which is 1 lakh crores and there are 1 to 10 trillion lakhs of crores of planets in this universe that and this is only so far we have discovered there is so much actually beyond it that people are still struggling to understand and it says that in then this is only 2000 light years okay and anybody know what is one light year one light year i have learned that one light year is about 9 trillion kilometers this is how the space is measured in the space uh, this is how the scientists measured in the space now think about all these things now again read psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 look at all this and keep it in your mind and just read this when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers 
the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Maybe in point zero, we will be millions and millions, maybe trillions of minus point zero. When you think about the size of the human being in this vast, massive, gigantic universe, which you cannot imagine. But here is a greater truth now you should understand. You know what? Considering the vast universe, the trillions of planets and the billions of stars, and this Milky Ways and all those things. You know what is a stunning thing? The Earth is the only planet in our universe that has life. Where there is sufficient light, heat, oxygen, water, energy, gravity. Wow. And now listen to this carefully. Considering the vastness of the universe, even the earth, there is nothing greater than human beings. There is nothing majestic, marvelous, splendorous than human beings. And that is what exactly he covers the next phrase. When he talks about the tiny size of the creature in comparison with the universe, in chapter 8 verses 5 to 8, he says that, yet... That word is very important yet. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Do you see that? Which speaks about that man is the only glorious, honorable creature on the planet earth because he is the only godlike creature in the universe. And because of that, the Bible tells you that you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the parts of the sea. Man is so close to God and little lower than the angels in the way that he was created people. Which no vastness of the creation of God can be compared to the man. That is why the scripture says here that you have made him just little lower than the heavenly beings. Which is, he is almost close to the heavenly beings. And interestingly, even angels have not given their own world to rule. Man is the only creature who dominates and has a separate world. Which is very interesting according to the scripture. Psalm 115.16 confirms that the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to man. And that is what we see that man is ruling over, having dominion over the planet earth. And the same thing what Psalm 8 speaks about goes in line with the very first chapter and the first book of the Bible. Where we see that in Genesis 1.27-28, this is what the author writes. You know what he writes? So God created man in his own image. Shall we all read this together? Very good. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing 
that moves on the earth. This Bible speaks about, this verse speaks about how man was made and what was the purpose why he was made. The Bible tells you that God created male and female equally in the image of God. We see you as Kudi. There is vast and vast and vast that you cannot even measure. But it is not in the image of God. And there is no life in the other planets. There is no life in the universe except in the planet Earth. And there we see that only man was created in the image of God. Which speaks about man is a thinking being. You know I was thinking about meditating a lot throughout this week about the, the, the grandeur of the man, the creation of man. And one thing when I was thinking about the creation of man, that is a thinking being is that, just think about, forget about all the other things. Just think about this. This magnanimous gift that God has given to man in his thinking being. Just think about memory. Just think about memory. Imagine how a man would be without memory. I would not be going to my house. And I don't even know she is my wife. <laughs> they, I don't know whether they are my children. You know how will man look like without memory? Like zombies walking on the streets, not knowing who they are and what they are doing on the earth. William Lynn Craig says that is one of the philosophies is, is that although man is a tiny creature than the mountainous Everest, man is greater than the mountainous Everest because man is a thinking being. He is made in the image of God. He is a thinking being. He is an emotional being. He is a communicative and relational being. He is a free volitional being who can decide. And also, he is a moral being. And you know why all these characteristics? Why God gave emotions? Why God gave thinking? Why God gave emotion, uh, relations? Why God gave volition? Why God gave moral existence? You know why? So that he can have dominion over the creation. You know? In the entire creation and even beyond that, only God has dominion. And what he is in his dominion, he gave that to man. And in man, for order to have dominion, he must be in the image of God because only God can have dominion. And that is the reason the Bible says that he created man in his own image so that he can have dominion. You know, people, when we look at our worth and value today, we look at our worth in a very cheap way. Honestly telling you that. Cheap way. How we look like on the outside, whether I appear beautiful, whether I have accomplished something in my life. These are the cheapest ways that we think about our value and worth. People, this is dust. How you appear, what accomplishments we are made, this is all secondary. The most important, glorious thing is that you are a thinking being. You are an emotional being. You are a volitional being. You are a relational being. You are a moral being. All this so that you can have dominion over the world. Man is greater than you, I Scooty. Suns, stars, planets, and all creatures. Why? Because he is made in the image of God to rule. Even angels don't have this dominion according to the revelation. That we have today. St. Augustine who lived in the 14th century. He said this. Hear this. Men grow abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains. At the huge waves of the sea. At the courses of the rivers. At the compass of the ocean. At the circular motions of the stars. 
and they pass by themselves without wondering. They wonder at everything, but they don't wonder at themselves. Because, listen to this people, the greatest wonder in the entire universe is no. Do you know who is he? You. The seven wonders are nothing compared to the wonder that God has made you. And that is exactly, he says that here. You are the absolute crown of the creation of God. And you are the wonder of God. But you know what has happened as we come close? I want to remind you. Man has lost this dominion to the devil because of sin. He has no more in the dominion. And that's the reason the world should come. Now that's the reason I'm explaining all these things. So that you will understand how God has made man. And how man has lost his dominion to devil because of sin. What is the scriptural evidence for this? Hear this. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Who is the God of this world? What is this world? The world that we are living in. Who is the God of this world? The devil. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they can, cannot behold the glory of the gospel. Some of you, even after hearing the gospel again and again, you are not able to behold. Why? Because you are in the blindness of the devil. And may God have mercy on you and open your eyes. The God of this world. And you see even Matthew 4, 8 to 9. The temptations of Jesus reveal that the world is under the dominion of the devil. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And what did he say to the Lord Jesus? All this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. How can he give the world, the kingdoms of the world to Jesus if the world is not under his dominion? We see also in 1 John chapter 5 verse 19, it says here, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world is in the hands of the devil. And you know people, only one person can restore the dominion that has been sold out to the devil. And again get back to man is the only person Jesus Christ. And that is why the author of Hebrews is arguing that he has become little lower than the angels. He has become a man one among us. He has forfeited his glorious state in heaven and he became little lower than the angels. But the author of Hebrews adds a word which we don't see in Psalm chapter 8. And what is the word? Little while. You see this here. Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 6 to 7. It says here that it has been testified somewhere. Which is Psalm chapter 8 verse 4 to 6. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him, observe the phrase which you don't see in Psalm 8, for a little while. The author of Hebrews took the liberty to add this little while because Christ in becoming human has automatically participated in the humanity about which David is describing in Psalm chapter 8. But the author also describes that he became human only for a little while. For 33 and a half years that he lived, lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
So what was lost in the first man, Adam? Christ has come to restore that to the man. So that through his humanity, humiliation and death, man would get the dominion that he has lost to the devil. Shall we all rise up and pray? Shall we all rise up and pray? Think about what you have heard, dear brothers and sisters. Think about the vastness of the universe, who we are, what God has made us. There is no one greater in the creation than the crown of God's creation than we. But we sin and lost that wonderful glorious state to the ugly wicked devil. But Christ our hero has come to rescue us from this dominion of the devil so that we can partake in the world to come to whom everything is subjected. And I want to encourage all those here who have not genuinely repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus, I encourage you this afternoon, please repent of your sins. Turn to Christ who has become human, became little while lower than the angels, so that you would be in the coming world, or else you would be in everlasting hell. Come, today is the day of salvation. Do not neglect this great salvation. And there is a message for believers here. Don't be lost in the mundane sufferings of your own life. Think beyond it, people. Whatever suffering we are going through, yes, it is painful. Yet it is afflicting. Yet it is difficult for us to go through. But know that our life's purpose is bigger. Our value and worth is bigger. And our destiny is incomparably grander than the mere afflictions we are going through here. That is the reason Apostle Paul was not hesitant to have his head cut off because he knew the world to come. That is why so many believers suffered, faced temptations and stayed strong because they knew the world to come over which Christ is the Lord and they will reign with him. People, Without this focus in your life, you cannot survive temptations and afflictions in this world. And God is encouraging you this afternoon. Arise from your limited, narrow perspective of life and think beyond it in the light of the word of God. And think of the world to come. Think about what Christ has done. Think about how we sinned. Think about how we lost it to the devil. Christ has won on the cross. Yet... The world is yet to come. Already it has been done. But the world is yet to come. The kingdom is yet to come. That's the reason our beloved Savior taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. It is only in the kingdom that is to come. That we have complete joy and enjoy the presence of God. And reign with him eternally in righteousness. And we all await for that world to come. And as long as we live in this world, along with the creation, we groan inwardly. We groan inwardly. 
we go through pain we go through anxiety sometimes and again turn to the lord turn to the coming world and the hope remember that in this hope we are saved heavenly father we thank you for speaking to our hearts and encouraging our souls thank you for the already work of christ on the cross and the world that is yet to come we eagerly wait for it in jesus name amen Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com. I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com. You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com. I repeat, c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Grace and peace be to you.